From KUOW in Seattle, you're listening to How's Your Day, telling you a story you don't know from a day we all remember. Today's date is April 20th, 2010. At least 11 people are missing after an explosion on an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. The U.S. Coast Guard says more than 120 workers have been evacuated from the platform. At least seven suffered serious injuries. It was chaos. Everybody was scared to death. Nothing went as planned like, like it was supposed to. Look at the water on fire. The water's on fire, dude. It was people screaming and hollering. It was people jumping off the side. I've never seen nothing like that. Never. On April 20th, an explosion ripped through BP Deepwater Horizon drilling rig, about 40 miles off the coast of Louisiana. 11 workers lost their lives. 17 others were injured. And soon, nearly a mile beneath the surface of the ocean, oil began spewing into the water. I almost have this image in my head that I remember of that morning of like, before I made that three point turn, it's like I saw her like in my peripheral. Like I'll never lose that image in my head. And I don't know if it's a real image, but it's just there. And the van went right through the house. My name is Kayla Gardis and I am a formerly incarcerated woman. <laughs> In Long Island, there was no other news but my news. That was the highlight. That was the thing. It, was, it blew up in a very bad way. I remember opiates being like a euphoric rush, like no pain, like just a bliss, just another, you know, not having to like deal with my feelings and my pain. It was just numbing, like comfortably numb. Like I felt useless and very like, I don't belong in the world. Like I didn't really, I was a very depressed child, very always looking to fit in, just looking for validation, looking for love, looking to fill the emptiness. If you're constantly being hurt, you start to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is this my fault? What did I do to deserve this? I must be, you know, a bad person. Once I was 11 years old, I was on drugs because I found an escape. I sold drugs. I had, you know, a, a boyfriend that sold drugs. I was about around a bunch of people that sold drugs. So when you're, you know, you're around that, it enables you to get drugs. If people are selling them, okay, then you get them. Sometimes they're for free. Sometimes they're not. It's like it steals your soul. I had been staying with him because I was kicked out of my house and just in, you know, my rock bottom stage where I had, you know, broken up with my ex-boyfriend so I couldn't go stay there. And, you know, it was just I was living in chaos and drama and he took me in to kind of help me out. You know, he was not my boyfriend. He wasn't even a man I was sleeping with. He was literally just a friend. And I was had also just started working for him because he owned a um, 
like a home improve home improvement business. So I was going to, you know, do be like his personal assistant. And so he was helping me out. I remember waking up in my friend's apartment. It, to the eye, it looked, you know, white walls, typical apartment. But to me, it was gloomy because of the energy in it. Especially when you wake up the next morning, you're not really high anymore. So things kind of look how you feel. So it was just like, ugh, like this drag down feeling. And, you know, the night before we had been doing drugs. So I had woken up to him kind of like arguing with me or saying something. I don't know. I had probably did something stupid the night before because I was in a blackout the night before. And, but I had to go to court. And so my mission was I need to get to court. I don't care what's going on. Like I need to get to court. My mother, she, I was 18, so she couldn't really get me, put me into rehab because I was not, I was 18. So she put an order of protection against me because she thought that that would make the judge send me to rehab. So it was like just her way of trying to get me help. The irony. I understand how serious this situation is. It is a tragedy. I want to speak directly to the people who live and work in the Gulf region. I know that this incident has had a profound impact on your lives. It could turn out to be the turmoil. worst environmental disaster in more than 20 years. I hear comments sometimes that large oil companies are, are greedy companies or don't care. But that is not the case in BP. We care about the small people. The van was a white van, like a worker's truck, like tools and things all over. Messy. I don't even know if there were seats in the back. I don't even think there were seats in the back. I think there was only seats in the front. Brian was driving, and I was sitting in the van. I had on a white pair of slacks with black ballerina slippers, ballet slippers, and uh, a black tank top. And they used to call them sugar lips. They're like the, you know, um, like tank tops that stretch a little bit, like one size fits all kind of thing and a black leather jacket on. I remember my mother calling and, you know, us saying we're late, and she told him, don't let her drive. Don't let her drive. His driving was... I mean, he, he managed to not be, like, you know, get pulled over, so it couldn't have been that outrageous, but to me, it was just very scary because, and it wasn't even so much his driving, it was the fact that I'm telling him that he's going to the wrong courthouse and he's going the wrong way and that he, he couldn't even hear that. Like, he heard me, but it wasn't registering in his brain. When you're on Xanax, you the, literally, like, the lights are on, but nobody's home. I told him, I was like, if you don't pull over, I'm going to walk there or find another way because you're going the wrong way and I cannot be late. So then he pulled over. 
I remember... going and driving a little bit and then going to make like a three-point turn and when I like hit the curb when instead of hitting the brake I hit the gas I could see myself heading right for a house how come I didn't like hit the the brake after I hit the gas like I don't know it just happened so fast it was just like boom I mean, the van went right through a house, like, and the airbags, and it just, and then I remember, like, getting out of the car and just, like, looking around, and there was a church across the street, or, like, in a distance, and it's just, like, it these beautiful houses, this beautiful street, the green grass, the beautiful sunny day, and this lady pulls over, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I just, you know, ran through this house. Like, oh my God, I have to go to court. Like, this is so bad. You know, I was like really concerned with going to court because I didn't want to be late. Um, I called my mother from the woman's phone and I told her, I'm like, mom, I hit a house. She's like, get your ass to court now. Like, I remember the police asking me, who was driving, and I kept saying it was me, and they kept saying, no, no, it was him, we know it was him. And I'm like, no, it was me. Uh, you know, they, they put us both in cop cars, and while they put me in the cop car and went to talk to him, I had a whole bunch of drugs on me, a whole bunch of things, so I just started taking things out of my bra, getting rid of them, which is called boofing, you know, putting it in, you know, my, my private areas to get rid of it for now so that if the cops had searched me they wouldn't have found anything you know it was just a whole mess I had a prescription pad on me in the car in the van because I was you know running a prescription ring I had money on me I had tons of pills I had pills in my bra I started popping I, I popped a couple of pills and then I blacked out I remember being on the phone and a lawyer telling me the person that you hit died. I said, what? And I just remember like looking at these two cops or detectives or whoever they were and just being like, oh my God, I'm a murderer. Like, oh my God, like, am I a murderer? I had no idea that somebody was like dying underneath that car, that van. A holding cell on your way to getting booked is the worst. It was just dirty, dark, smelly. It just smelled like old ham, like just the lowest type of place you could be in. So I just slept on the bench. Usually you wouldn't even be able to sleep on the bench because there's so many people, but like they separated me, you know? Justice Department investigators are considering whether to pursue manslaughter and perjury charges 
for the explosion aboard Deepwater Horizon rig, which killed 11 workers. It Survivors the say the undersea alarm that was supposed to go off did not, that the blowout prevention device that was supposed to be failsafe was not, and that 11 men died as a result. They now estimate 20 to 40,000 barrels are spewing out every single day. 20 and finally, to 40, of course, 000. we have the Deepwater Horizon catastrophe, and the more evidence that comes in, the more it's clear that was, that, that, that event was foreseeable uh, and it was avoidable. The next day I woke up, and the detective from the night before comes to get me. He doesn't tell me that the minute we are about to walk outside that there were going to be, like, 30 reporters in my face. Did you purposely aim for this woman? No, I didn't. You Listen, didn't? stop. Listen, we're, it was an accident. Please leave me alone. It was a mistake. Stop. It was a mistake. No, I, I, it was a prescription drug. It was a mistake. Stop. Leave me alone. It hurts to see myself like that. It really hurts. I was waiting for trial for two years and three months to get sentenced. And I was in Nassau County Correctional Facility in Long Island. I was convicted of manslaughter, vehicular manslaughter, um, drug charges, like um, possession with intent to sell, uh, reckless driving, driving without a license, forgery, um, possession of forged device, possession of stolen property. I ended up getting a plea agreement from my judge for a three to nine. Everybody knew what I was in there for. People looked at me, they, everybody knew me. That was one thing no one, nobody ever asked me. They knew. I went through a lot of people saying a lot of things. I had a lot of, you know, critics and people literally telling me I was a monster and like garbage and I should have died. I feel um, like my own, it's weird, you know, and to say this, but like I'm connected to her in my own way where like I've like prayed to her and I would say I'm like, okay, like you see who I am because you're, you're with me in a sense. Like it's, it's like you have a, a connection to this person forever, even though it's horrible. But this person, like, is with you. Her name was Rebecca Twainwright. But look, uh, we've gone through a difficult year and a half. This is just one more bit of difficulty. Uh, and uh, this is going to be hard, not just right now. It's going to be hard for months to come. The, the gulf, this spill, uh, the gulf is going to be uh, affected in, uh, in a bad way. And so 
my job right now is just to make sure that everybody in the Gulf understands. This is what I wake up to in the morning, and this is what I go to bed at night thinking about. From KOW in Seattle, Washington, you've been listening to How's Your Day. Today's date was April 20th, 2010. How's Your Day is made by Arwen Nix and Shane Mailing. Our editor is Jim Gates. And our producer is Whitney Henry Lester. Our music is by Jen Champion. Special thanks to Kayla Gertis and Judith Sloan. Tell us a story we don't know from a day everyone remembers. Our email is howsyourday at kow.org. Support for How's Your Day comes from KUW listeners, like you. There's another podcast I want to tell you about, How to Be a Girl. It's about a single mom and the challenges she faces as she raises her transgender daughter. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts.